Welcome to KOAM Presents, a podcast produced by KOAM News Now and the four states' most watched news team. Welcome back, guys. Another episode uh, Behind the Weather, Season 2, here with meteorologist Sam Lane. How are you doing, Sam? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing pretty good on a, what are we on, Wednesday. <laughs> <I'm dead. laughs> yeah. Before we get into anything, obviously have to give a huge shout out to our sponsors, fourstatesolar.com, powered by CLX Energy, Stickland and Stickland. You can find them at sticklandinjurylaw.com and Atlas Safe Rooms at atlassaferooms.com. So we were actually just talking before we started recording is that even though we both work together, this is really the first real conversation we've had. Right. Um, right. It's, you know, we're kind of on different sides of the building and uh, we, we kind of threw around the season, we knew we wanted to get you involved and kind of hear your side of the story because you, you're from this area, correct? Right. Yeah. I was born in Tulsa, uh, was raised in Northeast Oklahoma. I consider Eufaula, Oklahoma, my hometown. Okay. Uh, went to high school there, graduated from there. My grandparents, are from, they retired there. And so that's where I consider my hometown. But I've lived in Joplin before, uh, back in the mid-90s, from 1996 to 98. I was at a competing station then. Okay. Um, and so I'm familiar with this area already. And But uh, Tulsa is what I consider, you know, when someone, I meet someone across the country, where are they from? Oh, I'm from Tulsa. Because you know? <laughs> if, you if you say anything smaller than Tulsa, they don't know where you're talking like, about. So. I, I, don't, I don't know what, what that means. <laughs> right. And uh, when, when we talk about this area being so prevalent with not only severe weather, but like different varying weathers, mm-hmm. do you feel like that kind of growing up in the Tulsa, growing up in Oklahoma, that that kind of had an impact on like how you view weather or like when did that kind of start for you? Well, actually, if you took a survey of most meteorologists, all of them, most all of them will have a similar story where, yes, where they were impacted by a weather event at a very young age or something like that. And they've always been interested in weather. It's one of those careers that it's not like you wake up one day in college and go, you know, I think I'm going to be a meteorologist. <laughs> it, it just, it doesn't happen. Uh, I mean, it, it can, and I've, I've met a few, but I would say by and large, 90% of most meteorologists have always wanted to be a meteorologist since they were a kid. In my particular case, it actually started with the June 8th, 1974 tornado outbreak in Tulsa. Okay. My dad worked at McDonnell Douglas, uh, which was an aerospace company there in Tulsa for a long time. And uh, I was five years old, and he came home from work one day and pulled the truck into the driveway facing the street and put me and my brother on the hood of the pickup truck as a tornado touched down about a mile away from our house. Oh, no kidding. And so there was debris flying, roofs being torn apart, so forth. And so I was very inquisitive and curious as a kid anyway, and so I started asking questions. And my parents really didn't um, have a lot of answers, so they started bringing home books from the library. <laughs> And then when I was in kindergarten uh, in Owasso, um, I would draw Texas and Oklahoma on the chalkboard and the teacher would have the kids sit down on the floor and I would do the weather, you know. <laughs> uh, and then I remember the, the kindergarten teacher next to us, uh, they had these puzzles of all the states. And I guess I wasn't drawing Texas exactly right. So she brought me the puzzle piece to show me what Texas looked like. That's cool. So I would make it a little bit better. And then, of course, going through school uh, and all of high school, I was known as Sam the Weatherman. Um, so it's just, again, it's just one of those things that it's, it's been what I've wanted to do my whole life. And that, I mean, kind of harkens, we, we talked, I think, in the first season, too, how with meteorologists specifically, 
you kind of have two paths to pick from. You know, you have that, that research side, and then you have the, the meteorology from, you know, educating the community and stuff like that. Right. So you being kind of local in the community, did that influence, you know, you're like, ah, I don't really, you know, obviously you're still doing research by educating mm-hmm. us, but like the purely research, you know, behind the camera kind of stuff. Actually, meteorology is kind of going through um, a time of expansion. Okay. Um, I would say about 20 years ago, there probably were just two paths, and that was, well, maybe three. There would be the university and research side. Mm -hmm. Then there would be the government meteorology side, which would be the National Weather Service, NOAA, National Severe Storms Lab, and then there would be the broadcasting side. But in the last 10 to 15 years, there's been a diversity of paths now you're not necessarily restricted to just those three now a lot of utility companies are hiring meteorologists there's weather derivatives there is energy futures and an area that i've gotten involved in about a couple years ago is forensic meteorology okay and Forensic meteorology, uh, you know, when people hear the word forensic, they think of CSI and all that. I was and just going to say that, It's yeah. kind of like that. But whenever, let's say, and a large part of it was brought on because of the insurance industry. Um, the insurance industry for a long time, whenever someone would want a new roof, they would make a claim to an insurance company mm-hmm. whether or not they actually had hail or not, and they would get a new roof. Well, the insurance company kind of caught on and was like, wait a minute, we're seemingly paying out a lot of claims surely there isn't this much hail going on (laughs) so it kind of started from that um and now especially when you deal with commercial properties or multi-million dollar properties or claims a lot of insurance companies are pushing back on those claims and so what's happening is that there is a growing demand for meteorologists to come in and give an expert opinion on what caused the damage when did it happen? How large was the hail? Were there winds involved? And so forth. So a couple of years ago, I answered an ad um, that I saw where an engineer, forensic engineer, was looking for somebody to just look up weather data. And I thought to myself, well, I can do that. <laughs> I mean, that, how hard can that be? Yeah. So, And I know where to look. So I reached out to the guy and we had a lunch. And after the lunch, he realized, oh my God, I'm going to have to start a meteorology company. <laughs> so him and I founded Atlas Forensic Meteorology. I thought it was interesting. One of your sponsors is Atlas uh, Storm Shelters. We're not affiliated with them, but, you know, it's interesting. Names are similar. Yeah. Um, so Atlas Forensic Meteorology was born, and I kind of helped develop that and get that off the going. So we now work with attorneys, law firms, insurance companies, or anyone who has a legal or insurance claim that has weather involved, and they need an expert report written. And so I've been doing that. So I'm encouraging meteorology students to come through our station as interns or just whenever um, to just don't think of meteorology as a broadcast field or a research field or a government field. Definitely. There's now in the marketplace, there are other entities that are using meteorologists for their purposes. Yeah. So. And that kind of, it, it's, it's funny. You think of these, these different businesses who, again, honestly, I wouldn't normally think of. They're like, we don't know. We don't want to sift through this data. We don't know how to read this data. We got to bring in, you know, an expert to kind of analyze it and give us, give us the facts here. Um, was, well, well uh, for a long time, forensic engineers were testifying in court about weather data. 
But there's been some recent Supreme Court rulings in Texas and in Florida where just recently, and a large part of it, I think, was because of what, the work we were doing at Atlas, mm -hmm. where now the courts are saying, wait a minute, you're an engineer. You're not a meteorologist. So why are you testifying about weather data? Yeah. So now it's almost becoming where you have to have a meteorologist now to testify or to provide expert witness or written reports in a court type setting. And so a lot of engineering firms are now hiring and advertising for meteorologists. <laughs> so that that's kind of, so it's a growing field, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. It's, it's a growing area. And of course, as climate change is making more of an impact and as the population is growing and more and more people are affected by severe weather events, this is probably going to be a growing field. And that's kind of something I kind of brings my next question. In our last episode, Chris was talking, you know, he is not a meteorologist. You know, he's a weather guy, but he relies on you and, and Doug's data. Um, as far as the severe weather that we've seen in the area, does is it more, sev not more severe, I guess, higher frequency than we more feel common. like we, yeah, more common than we feel like we've seen in the past? Well, you know, I think there's a lot of debate about that um, because you can go back through the historical records and see that we've had large maxi tornadoes in this area in times past. Mm -hmm. I think part of the difference is situational awareness has dramatically increased. Yeah. Cameras, phones, videos, because let's say, let's say 60 years ago, a tornado was to go through southeastern Kansas. Mm -hmm. There's a very good chance it didn't hit anything. Probably wasn't even seen by very many people. So it's kind of like the adage, if a tree falls in the forest, doesn't make a sound. Yeah, if nobody's okay. there to hear it. So there may be part of that. Because used to, we used to think the average number of tornadoes per year were about 500 to 600 tornadoes. But then, as we started going into the 70s and 80s and on, more and more reports. And now the average is around 1,200 per year. Oh, wow. But it's not... I don't think necessarily because we're getting more and more tornadoes, it's there's just more awareness of it and they're being recorded more and they're being reported more. Yeah. Now, the violent type tornadoes, I think they're, again, I think a large part of that is factored by the human element. Mm -hmm. Now, I think the bigger question when it comes to tornadoes is tornado alley shifting. Okay. And my answer to that is, I think, yes, it is shifting, but is it a long-term shift or is this a short-term thing? Dr. Fujita wrote a paper way back in the 70s talking about these different shifts of frequency and location of tornado outbreaks and occurrences. And um, so there's, there's still some question as to whether this is like, a, like an El Nino type cycle or a La Nina, is this cyclic? Mm -hmm. Um, right now, I would say from about the year, well, ever since about the year 2000, it seems like Tornado Alley has shifted more to the deep south, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky. Um, and so if that's true, then we may be on the wane here. Um, and of course, a large part of that could be because this, the western United States has been in what we call a mega drought for decades. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, the drier it gets out in the western United States, it allows for that dry or drought conditions to expand further into the plains, which has a couple of impacts. One of which is the drier it is on the high plains, 
the more eastward the dry line is able to be pushed eastward. And if the dry line moves further eastward, then that means the tornadic supercells are likely going to be shifted further to the east as well. Okay. So, again, is that being impacted by the cyclic nature? Don't know. And, you know, there's a lot of debate about climate change. <laughs> I get asked this all the time when I'm out in the community. Is climate change real? And my answer to that is, it depends on, I, I think the real question is, is not whether the climate is changing, because I do think it is changing. Mm -hmm. But the real root or the real seed question that should be answered is, are humans causing climate change? Yeah. That's the real question. But it seems like in the political circles and, you know, in that sphere, yeah. it's all about they're still arguing over whether climate change is occurring. Okay, well, if it is, the real question, as far as I'm concerned, is, is it caused by humans? Because if it's caused by humans, then obviously we need to take steps to mitigate that or reduce that or eliminate that. Of course, yeah. However, when you look at glaciological records and uh, dendrochronology, it shows that we've actually been much, much warmer in the past, way before there were even cars even thought of. So what was causing that climate change or what was causing that global warming? So the, the planet itself has a lot of cyclic, you know, factors to it. Yeah. Uh, there's the, the, I think it's called Milosevic, a Milokovic cycle. That's a basically a 22,000 year cycle in which the ice ages come and go. So, and that's, of course, factored by the Earth's orbit around the sun and how right now the North Star is polaris, but in 22,000 years it will be vega. And so it's called a precision. And so this changing the tilting of the Earth's axis causes other type of cycles. So it's a very complicated science. I, 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 I guess I'm say, saying all yeah. that to say I think the jury is still out. Oh, it yeah. is my view on that. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure that with like technologies and data is always changing. So my question is, and, th and this is someone who's a total novice about weather. Um, when you talk about these cycles that are like literal thousands of years, do you look at the small chunks within these like such large cycles? Is yes, um, because some of the Greenland ice cores have seemingly indicated that the climate dramatically, dramatically changed over like a decade period of time. Okay. It went from like one extreme to the other in a very short period of time. So even though there's these long glacial periods and, and all that, there can be, it seems like whenever it goes from one to the other, there's a rapid change. And that's kind of what we're seeing now is, here's the, here's the real concern that I have. Let's say, for example, humans are the cause of global warming. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, then by the time we figure that out for sure, it's the damage is done and it's too late and we're not going to be able to really do anything about it. So in my view, we should be doing everything we can to get off of fossil fuels as quickly, as painlessly as possible. Yeah. But we need to do that because it's not a good idea to keep putting gases in the atmosphere that normally would not be there to begin with. That should be, that's the way I think the focus should be on. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're putting carbon dioxide, we're putting methane. Methane, by the way, is the, worst, is the worst gas, even more so than carbon dioxide. But 
you know, we should be eliminating these gases from the atmosphere as best as we possibly can to get it back to the where it was, let's say, before the industrial age. If we do that, then I think everything will be fine. But if we are not the cause of these changes, then really, there's nothing really we can do. <laughs> You're just kind of we're, waiting it we're out. We're just going to have to go along for the ride and just deal with the consequences of the climate changing because we're not the ones that are causing it. It's something else. And what that is, I, I, no one knows. We have about 20 staff members in our businesses. I have a daycare, and so I'm responsible for 20 other families' children. It really hit home that we really need to have a storm shelter. We needed the security. With the way the weather's been in the last few years, it really made us nervous. To me, it, it means I have a safe place in my house. This has given us more peace of mind every time we see a storm rolling. I don't worry now. I, I feel safe. I trust my life with it. Own your power. Four State Solar, powered by CLX Energy, can help you take control of the power in your home using solar energy. By booking an appointment at fourstatesolar.com, you'll receive a personalized recommendation based on your energy needs. We offer top quality products, plus professional installation and warranties by a leader in the industry. And you receive $25 for completing an appointment. Visit fourstatesolar.com and schedule an appointment today. It's time to own your power. Hi, I'm Charlie Stickland. And I'm Sarah Stickland McDonald with the Stickland and Stickland Law Firm. And I'm a zoo basketball Trigo Million. From the basketball court to the courtroom. Trust in a winning team. At Stickland and Stickland, our only focus is personal injury. We've earned millions and millions for our clients since 1991. So whether your case is worth thousands or go millions, Stickland and Stickland is the firm for you. Stickland and Stickland, it's a slam dunk. So in your guys' circles, do you guys look at kind of the the different outcomes, if you will, of, you know, if for some reason, you know, if we could make that easy transition, you know, what does that look like? And then if we can't, like, is that something that gets discussed kind of in, in your circles? Well, one of the, one of the data sets that makes an impact on me, or to me is the greatest impact, is the Mauna Loa um, record. And what this is, is in Mauna Loa, Hawaii, uh, a scientist back in the 50s was tracking the amount of carbon dioxide parts per million, or I think it's parts per billion. Um, and so if you look at this graph, you can clearly see that there's this upward trend. And we just recently passed the 400 million or 400 parts per billion uh, not long ago. And that was considered like to be a threshold of like, you the know, point doom of no and gloom. return. Yeah. Yeah, okay. point of no return. Because at some point, when you when you heat the atmosphere up to a certain point, it may lead to cascading effects mm -hmm. where, okay, now we've got all this fresh water flowing into the oceans, which then causes the ocean's currents to collapse, which then cause, the, it's like a domino effect. You push one domino, it hits another domino and another, and, it, and then it, at what point does it stop? Or at what point do we get to where we can't, we've gone past the point of no return? Yeah. And so the Mauna Loa uh, record is very disturbing to see uh, that we continuously keep on this upward trend. Um, now, what that translates into as far as the amount of warming, I don't know. Um, you know, they keep talking about the, the two degrees Celsius, you know, two degrees Celsius, what's that gonna do? Or they're trying to cap it, I think at 1.5, but I think we're already past that. It's too late. <laughs> yeah, it's too late for that. So now we're shooting for 1.8 or something like that. 
But in reality, I think our climate is going to be seeing more extremes. We're going to be going from extremely cold to extremely hot until the atmosphere figures out what it wants to do. If it wants to go on a permanent heat scale, after all these extremities, we might, or extremities, we may find ourselves in that place. Mm -hmm. Don't know. It, it, it's a very interesting science, but uh, even within the meteorological community, there's a debate. So <laughs> if we haven't figured it out, then, you know, the people that are not in meteorology or climatology, there's no telling what they think. Well, yeah, and I mean, that can be kind of intimidating for, you know, people who don't know how to properly interpret the data or understand the debate whenever you hear things like, again, the doom and gloom of the, these marginal degree changes that can have such huge effects. Right. And kind of reeling it back into our area, the, the chance of more extreme weather not like you know the mm -hmm. global warming was you know was thrown around a lot and it's like oh well everything's gonna get hotter right well you know it's, it's everything the other gets side of the blamed on global warming yeah it's the other side of that coin where you know it gets colder it gets hotter it gets all the above well like right now southeastern kansas is in exceptional drought mm -hmm. and that's largely caused by not necessarily global warming but la nina we've been in three la ninas in a row and what that is for your listeners, if they don't know, is there is a cold water current that's off the coast of South America. Mm -hmm. There's a certain temperature range that it generally falls in. If colder than normal water appears off the coast of South America, that reverses the flow, and that's called a La Nina. If it's the opposite, and there's a huge current of warm water off the coast of South America, that's an El Nino. More people are familiar with El Nino than La Nina. But La Nina is the opposite of El Nino. Okay. And so whenever we go into La Nina's, we generally have colder and drier winters around here. And if you also couple that with a drier spring, now you're in real trouble. Because the thing about droughts is once they start, it's like a downward spiral. It kind of like builds and builds and builds. Because part of what uh, puts water into the atmosphere for rain and clouds to develop is a process called evapotranspiration where vegetation releases water vapor into the atmosphere okay well when you start getting into a drought situation guess what happens evapotranspiration goes down because all the plants are holding in that water and but as a result of them holding in all that water now there's no more water in the atmosphere to generate rain and storms so it's kind of it's kind of a downward death spiral oh gosh and is, is that so we, we talk about, you know, the reduced amount of precipitation, but that in, is that in theory reduce severity because there isn't that? Or is there still the high chance of severity, but just less precipitation? Well, and this kind of go ties in with what we talked about earlier about if, let's say, southwestern Kansas and south central Kansas, Kansas are in severe drought, which they are right now. Mm -hmm. As a result of that drought, does that impact the dry line being able to migrate further eastward? And if that's the case, then that would mean that the more severe storms and tornadoes would also be shifted eastward to eastern Missouri, eastern Arkansas, which, by the way, a couple of weeks ago, if that, we had that big tornado outbreak. And we've seen so far this spring, we've been on the very western edge of all these big storm systems. Yeah. And so we, you know, we've kind of dodged a bullet a couple of times already. So the severe weather has been mainly shifted off towards the east. And now we're going into an El Nino pattern. The warm waters off the coast of South America are dramatically warmer than normal. And this could actually end up being a record El Nino coming up. Wow. 
usually El Ninos and La Ninos occur in the fall and winter months. Okay. But we kind of get a heads up way ahead of time. And now we're starting to see we're going into an El Nino. Now, what that means for us is generally, and I, I say all these things, <laughs> you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt because, yeah. you know, not everything is set in stone. But generally, here in the four states, when we're in an El Nino pattern, it's wetter and warmer than normal, especially in the fall and winter months. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, if we do go into an El Nino and that's the El Nino situation we get, then hopefully the drought will be broken in south central Kansas and southwest Kansas and we'll go back to what a more normal tornado season looks like. You know, if people, you know, a lot of people probably are not upset that our tornado season has been basically nil for the last few years. Yeah. But we could go back to a more normal spring-like pattern, probably not necessarily this year, but next year. And we need, I mean, we need that water, especially down in this area. And for the people listening, there's air quotes around normal. Because, I mean, it, right. obviously there's a lot of subjectivity to normal, but as far as, I think, comfortable i feel like could be equated to the, right. the normal you know good rains you know not too severe right um a question i always ask and i think i've asked uh chris and, and doug both is do you have a particular condition like weather condition that you take more interest in than others uh well that's a that's a good question because <laughs> um, i am you know growing up here in oklahoma area uh, you're just so used to extremes. Yeah, exactly. You're used to blizzards, tornadoes, droughts, floods, you know, you name it. Mm -hmm. If you can forecast here, you can forecast anywhere. <laughs> I always tell people, you get a degree in meteorology from OU, it's like getting a Harvard Law degree or a medicine degree from John Hopkins or something like that. It's yeah. like you can write your ticket anywhere. Um, and it's similar in being a broadcast meteorologist in this part of the country. I think a lot of stations across the country look at meteorologists here in this part of the country as the premier experts and best at that's what awesome. they do. And I think that's good. Yeah. Um, because we do have the extremes here. And not only that, but weather is actually a matter of life and death here. Of course. Whereas yeah. in Hawaii, not so much. Or, you know, somewhere Maine or Minnesota or what, not so much. Mm -hmm. But here, it can be a matter of life and death. And so that kind of gives a greater responsibility on us mm -hmm. uh, to, to be at the top of our game. And I know Doug and I and Chris as well, we're constantly looking for uh, the latest research. Um, the la I mean, we have these journals that we read all the time, uh, looking at all of that and finding out what the latest research is. Uh, there's a new radar system that's coming down the pike in a few years that people are going to be hearing more about called Phased Array, uh, which is going to revolutionize meteorology uh, again, wow. much like, like how Doppler you, radar. How you use, like actually the tools you guys use are changing. Absolutely. The, the tools that we're using is changing uh, and the science behind that is changing. So we always try to stay up on that. Mm -hmm. um, and now I forgot the question. <laughs> we're, no, just like with the extremes, do you kind of have something that oh, you what consider? Do I like? Yeah, what do you like? It's um, personally favorite, I guess. Well, to be honest with you, I I love snow. I'm a, I'm a snow freak. Um <laughs> And one of the reasons why is because when it's snowing, especially when it's snowing during the day mm -hmm. and there's, there's snow cover on the ground. And as the snow is falling, it drowns out all the sound and noise. It's like the noise levels drops dramatically and it just seems so peaceful and just so calming. And I just like that. I just like walking out in the snow when it's snowing on a day 
and it just makes everything peaceful. And plus it makes everything beautiful. Yeah. Um, I'm also kind of partial to obviously tornadoes and severe thunderstorms. Uh, I've chased many storms, uh, was close as, uh, uh, was as close as about half a mile from an F4 tornado in 2013 near Kearney, Oklahoma. Um, and of course the one back in 1974, but I've been chasing off and on throughout the years. But part of the problem (laughs) of being a broadcast meteorologist is I don't get to go out in the field that often because people are depending on us to give them the warnings and to watch the radar. So, um, I consider myself kind of a Doppler expert. Uh, when you, when you look, uh, at tornado signatures on Doppler radar for 30 plus years, you kind of figure your way around that. Yeah. Um, So. I like severe weather. I don't like seeing the death and destruction, obviously. Well, obviously. Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, I if it'd be great if we, tornadoes could touch down in the middle of an open field and not hit anything. That would be great. Um, I experienced my first hurricane with Hurricane Ivan back in 2004. That was an experience. I was totally unprepared for what I experienced. So that's that. as a resident, not even like from looking at it from afar? Uh, yeah, I was a resident. Oh, wow. I was, a, I was at the ABC station in the Panhandle of Florida. Okay. So I've been in other markets. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the thing that fascinated me most about the Hurricane Ivan was, you know, here in the Plains, when it, whenever we get a storm, it usually lasts maximum two hours, right? Mm-hmm. Thunder, lightning, wind, and it's over. Well, the hurricane, it was hour after hour after hour after hour. And I'm like, and as a meteorologist, I'm like, I'm, I can look at it from the perspective of how much energy is being expended by this thing. And not just at my location, but hundreds of miles of coastline is experiencing this kind of energy and this kind of power hour after hour after hour. And I was just totally unprepared for that. In fact, when I moved to Florida, I had never been through a hurricane. I (laughs) had known about them from books and research and all that, but never in person. And so I kept asking people around, I'm like, so, what's it like being a hurricane? What? And they're like, Oh, the hurricane's nothing. It's the after. And I'm like, I couldn't figure out what they were talking about. What are they talking about the after? And everybody encountered kept saying the same thing. Oh, the hurricane's nothing. It's the afterwards. Finally, when I got to experience hurricane Ivan, I understood them what they were talking about because we are so coddled in this day and age with our technology our ability to just walk over and hit a light switch and the lights come on. Mm-hmm. So when I went through Hurricane Ivan, I realized when you go days and weeks without power, water, no hot waters for your showers, no ice, uh, everything is destroyed. It, it just, it really makes you feel like you've been thrown back to the stone age or a third world country. And it's very, very um, eye opening. And, it, it brings, and that's what they meant by the after. The I mean, yeah, like just well, how do you pick up the pieces? And it right. brings an interesting point is like with the hours and hours of, of a hurricane, how it's so opposite. I mean, tornadoes, I feel like it's all in an instant, very quick moving. Do you feel yeah. like is the data kind of reflect that whenever you're tracking a, a hurricane is that it's pretty slow shifting? You guys can, I mean, I know in like na- national meteorologists, they kind of show the projected path and they right. talk about it for a long time, but tornadoes is just like instant. Well, it just so happened that Ivan kind of made me feel at home because <laughs> Ivan produced the most tornadoes of any landfalling hurricane ever. Okay. And so when this started occurring, 
I felt like I was right back in Oklahoma because I'm looking at radar <laughs> and I'm seeing all these tornadic signatures with these supercells embedded in the, the spiral bands. In fact, I was in, I was sent to Mariana, Florida, which was further inland because the broadcast group that I belonged with, they had not only TV stations, but also newspaper offices. So I was sent to the newspaper office in Mariana, Florida because it was further away from the coast. And so if everything got destroyed in Panama City, I would still be able to continue to provide weather information in Mariana. Gosh. Well, while I was in Mariana, we had these spiral armbands coming on shore that were producing all these tornadoes. And one of them touched down south and east of me. And so it moved right up into the town that I was at. And, <laughs> and, F, it, and these were not just your typical, most tornadoes and hurricanes are very small. They're like F-0s, F-1s. Mm -hmm. These were like F2s and F3s. So it was like being back here in the plains. And they were on the ground for a long period of time. The one that hit Mariana was on the ground for like 30 miles, which was extremely unusual uh, for hurricanes that produce tornadoes. So the people down there were freaking out. And, you know, being from Oklahoma, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm used to this. So it was, it was kind of a mixture of the two. I, I kind of experienced both what it was like here in the plains, but also something new with the landfalling hurricane. Yeah, and I, it's wherever you go. The I mean, the weather is going to follow, kind of follow. You know, that's you right. You never know what you're going to get. Um, regardless, I, th I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up for that episode. We're, okay. We're glad that you've made it your way back here. I know you've you've been with the station for a little bit now, and yep. we're we're happy to have you. You're back in the four states. And yes. Kind of representing uh, Oklahoma. So we're and we're gonna keep doing this. We have more episodes to come. Uh, um, with Chris and you know the whole weather weather team, um, and again, huge thanks to our sponsors, uh, FourStateSolar.com, powered by CLX Energy, uh, Stickland and Stickland. You can visit them at SticklandInjuryLaw.com and AtlasSafeRooms.com. And I mean, Sam, if your company, I mean, if you want to kind of plug, that. sure. Um, Atlas Forensic Meteorology is the one company I was working with. I've actually started my own now called National Storm Consultants. Um, and Doug and I are actually working together on that. Uh, he has his own weather company called Weather Savants. Mm -hmm. So more and more meteorologists are looking probably to do that as well, to start their own weather companies that provide different services and products. And so if there is an insurance agency or an attorney out there that might be listening, I've worked on several different cases, <laughs> including federal cases. And so if they want to contact me, they can do so, uh, either at the station or at National Storm Consultants. And um, I'll be happy to help them. Awesome. Well, we will catch you guys in the next episode. Thank you for listening to KOAM Presents. For the latest content in local news, weather, and sports, please go to koamnewsnow.com.